You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Thank you for your very well welcome. Uh, it is great to be with you here this morning, and it is an incredible privilege to be able to share something of God's Word with you. We'll be spending our time looking at that passage from the Gospel of Luke that was read out for us. So if you, if you have a Bible or you, or you want to open it up in your order of service, uh, that is where we want to be focused. And as we turn our attention to those words, let me, let me pray for us as we, as we come together to think about them more. Dear Lord God, we thank you so much that you are a God who has not left us in the dark, You are a God who has revealed himself to us. You've revealed your plans of salvation to us. You've revealed yourself in the person of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you that you speak to us, even today, through your word. And Lord, as we turn our attention to this passage now and as you speak, Lord, I pray that you would open our ears, you would open our hearts, you would open our minds, so that as you speak, we would listen and And in listening, we'd be changed. And Lord, we pray this all for your glory and for your namesake. Amen. I've been uh, travelling around America now for the last uh, week or two or so. And uh, throughout that whole process, I've had the great privilege of meeting a whole stack of new people that I've never met before. I like meeting new people. I know some people find that introverts, extroverts. I really enjoy meeting new people. I like to get to know their story. I like to hear a little bit about them, get to know them. When we meet new people for the very first time, we have, we have questions that we ask, don't we? Uh, what questions is it that you ask when you, when you meet people for the first time? Uh, maybe it's the question of, uh, of what do you do for work? That's quite a common question that you ask when you meet someone for the new, first time. Uh, perhaps in other parts it might be, where did you study or where did you go to college? Or a uh, common question in America seems to be, where did you grow up? Where are you from? Of course, in Birmingham, Alabama, there is only one question that you need to know, isn't it? Auburn or Alabama? Simple as that. But we do this. We, we, we ask questions to try and get to know people to figure out, well, well kind of what's, what matters about this person. Uh, I was speaking to somebody recently. They said, we ask all the wrong questions. They thought the best question we should ask to find out about someone that we've never met is, what do you usually do on a Saturday? <laughs> well, that's a far more interesting question that will reveal something about someone. We try to get to know people and we ask these questions. And and in a way, at least, the questions that we ask when we're meeting someone for the very first time are the kinds of things that we think are important about somebody, aren't they? The kinds of things that we think define a person. I mean, we might not say it so explicitly, but if you think with me about it for a second, I think that's the way it works. The questions that we ask are the things that we think define What matters most about a person? Well, in the section of Luke that we want to have a look at together here this morning, the discussion comes after a massive question. In fact, I'd go as far as to say the question is not just any question, it's the question. The one question that matters most in defining someone's life. Um, If you have a Bible or you, you, you have a screen you can scroll on. I want to just read 
a few verses before the passage that was printed in the uh, bulletin for us. I want to pick up the conversation just there at chapter 9, verse 18. Just a couple of verses earlier. Jesus has been with his disciples now for a while, the best part of a year or so, perhaps even longer. And at this moment, Jesus asks, well, he asks a very important question. Have a look at it. Chapter 9, verse 18 with me. At once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were there with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? Well, they replied, as some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asks. Who do you say that I am? Well, Peter answers, you're the Christ of God. Now, as I said, the disciples and Jesus have been together for a while now and Jesus had got quite a bit of a, a reputation. People were talking about him and so he asked the kind of natural question. Who, what's, what's the word on the street? <laughs> Who are people saying that I am? Uh, now, we know from the rest of the Gospels that there are some fairly negative responses to that question. There were people saying all sorts of not-so-nice things about Jesus. There were people saying that he was, he was crazy, that he was out of his mind. There were people saying that he was demon-possessed. I'd imagine there was a little bit of awkwardness when Jesus puts this question to the disciples. They tend to go on the more positive answers to that question. Uh, Well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah the prophet. Who do people say that I am? Those were the answers in Jesus' day, but it's it's an important question today as well, isn't it? If I was to ask you, who do people say that Jesus is? Your colleagues, your friends, your family. Who is it that people say Jesus is? I'd suggest that perhaps some of those answers would be similar today as they were back then. There are a lot of people who think, well, Jesus is kind of crazy. He's a liar. Um, he was kind of out of his mind. He, he, he claimed too much for himself. Uh, there would be other people who, who would put him in the category of a, of a great teacher, uh, you know, a great man of history. Perhaps others may even say, oh, he was a miracle worker like, like many others that have come and gone before him and after him. Prophet, yeah, some people still say that today. That's, that's Islam's teaching about Jesus. He's a, he's a prophet in line of, of, of Abraham and Moses and, and other prophets as well. Uh, who do people say Jesus is? Some people say he's just a, a myth, uh, not even a, a, a figure of history, someone made up in our own mind. Who do people say Jesus is? But the question gets personal for Jesus and his disciples and the question gets personal for us too. What about you? Who do you say Jesus is? Because, see, here is the question, right? Here is the biggest question that defines us. This is the question that matters most. Who do you say Jesus is? Because actually, you know what? The answer to that question is going to define you as a person. It's going to define your priorities, your allegiance, your, your direction in life, your values. The answer to that question matters most. Who do you say Jesus is? Because we ask all these other kind of questions to try and get to know someone. But actually, this is the question that matters most. Is Jesus your, is he your self-help buddy? 
Is he here to give you power to achieve what you want to do in this life? Is that who Jesus is for you? Uh, Is he your spiritual guru? Helps you get in touch with your inner self? Give you a sense of peace? Is that who Jesus is? Is he kind of there to call on when things are tough, um, but otherwise largely to be ignored? Is he kind of Is he kind of Batman in your life? You kind of sign off the light when you need him to come and help, but otherwise he can just sit there anonymously? Is he nothing to you? You see, the answer to this question will change and it will shape your life forever. And that's exactly what Jesus goes on to say in the passage that was read out for us and printed for us in our bulletins. Because as soon as the disciples understand who Jesus is, As soon as the disciples understand that he is the Christ, the Christ of God, then Jesus wants them to appreciate and to understand that that declaration has implications firstly for him, but secondly, it's got massive implications for those of us who are going to declare him to be the Christ and who are going to follow him in our lives. For Jesus, well, he tells us what the implication is going to be for him in verse 22, that Jesus is the Christ of God is going to mean that he's going to, well, he's going to suffer. He's going to be rejected. He's going to die on a cross. And then on the third day, he's going to rise again. That's what it meant for Jesus to be the Christ. But what does it mean for us who know him to be the Christ? Well, The answer is in the verses that are printed out on your sheet. The answers are in the verses that are read out for us today. This is what it's going to mean. It's going to mean denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following him. It's going to mean losing our lives for Jesus' sake so as to save our lives. It's going to be not being ashamed of Jesus, not being ashamed of his teaching, not being ashamed of our faith in him, our belief in him. It's going to mean not being ashamed in this world that we live in. It's going to mean, in regards to the last verse in our, in our passage, it's going to mean putting our hands to the plough and, and never looking back. You see, Jesus asks a very penetrating question here in this passage. What good is it for you to gain the whole world and yet lose your soul? It's an incredibly powerful, an incredibly penetrating question for us to ask. And and it resonates throughout history. It resonates into our modern world and into our life today. How much are you worth? That's Jesus' question to us. How much do you think you're worth? What's it going to take for you to sell out? How much would you sell your soul for? That's Jesus' question. You see, the tragic thing is that when you think about life in the way that Jesus has just described it for us, you want to save your life, then you want to lose it, then you're going to lose it. If you want to own the whole world, then you're going to end up losing your soul. The tragic thing is that when you, when you think about life like that, you realise very quickly that you and I know people, meet people every single day who, who sell their soul for a whole lot less than the whole world. What's your soul worth? What's it going to take 
for us to sell out? Is it the new job? Is it the respect of your boss? Is it that promotion that you're after? Would that be enough? Would you lose your soul for that? Is it the the big house in the nice suburb? Or, Or is it the bigger house in the nicer suburb? 60 years of living our life on this planet in what we might describe as luxury, is that something worth it? Would you sell your soul out for that? Is it sex? Is it relationships? What is it? What's the price? How much is your soul worth? That's what Jesus is asking us here. You see, his call is a radical, radical call. His call to follow him is radical. If I am the Christ, as you declare me to be, Peter, if I am the Christ, as we confess that he is, then the implications for us as his followers are, well, they're massive. This is what matters most. They're the same today as they were back then. This is what matters most. The problem is, well, the problem is that we just don't take Jesus all that seriously. Jesus asked the penetrating question, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? But we like to change that question just a little bit. We like to reframe it and reshape it. Our question goes something more like this. How much of the world can I get whilst still kind of holding on to my soul? It's a very different question to ask, isn't it? It's a very dangerous question to ask. I've got a good friend by the name of Scott. Scott and I have spent lots of time together over the years, particularly in the outdoors. We like camping together. I've camped with Scott in Australia. I've camped with Scott in Africa, all over Europe. Scott's a great guy to go camping with because Scott loves collecting firewood. Right? That's the perfect person to go camping with. So every time we go to a campsite and we'd start setting up camp and as soon as we arrived, Scott would head off. He'd disappear. And he'd come back 20 minutes later or so and there'd be a massive pile of firewood ready for us to cook on and to enjoy for the rest of the night. I remember one particular time that I was camping with Scott. The usual routine had happened. We turned up to our campsite. We started setting up camp. Scott, head off. But this time it was a little bit different because 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, 40 minutes later, Scott hadn't come back. And and we were starting to get a little bit worried about Scott. And so uh, a few of us went out to try and see if we could find Scott, kind of calling out his name, hoping to hear an answer. We heard a faint answer off in the distance and we followed it. And we eventually found Scott. Scott had fallen off a cliff. Now, don't worry, Scott was fine. It's okay. But he'd fallen off a cliff. And actually, you know what? It was quite a comical scene. It was almost cartoon-like. This cliff was quite a decent drop. But about four or five feet from the ledge of the cliff, there was one tree, one tree only, that had grown out from the edge of the cliff. And there was Scott hanging on to this tree with one hand and in the other hand holding on to a big pile of firewood. (laughs) It it was comical. And and actually, you know what? We had to talk Scott down. We had to convince him, Scott, you're going to have to let go of the firewood if we're going to get you out of this situation, we're going to pull you up off the cliff back to safety on the edge. Now, we look at that situation, we look at Scott, and we kind of laugh and we think, how could you be so crazy? Why would you risk your life for a few sticks of firewood? And yet in reality, the truth is, 
So many of us are doing exactly the same thing with our eternal lives. Holding on to a few sticks of wood, holding on to the things of this world that could cost us our souls rather than letting go of all and clinging on to Christ with, with everything that we have, following him wholeheartedly. Listen to Jesus' words. Listen to the call that he makes on us. Listen to the difference it must make in our lives if he really is the Christ. You must, says Jesus, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. You must lose your life for me, for the Christ, for for his kingdom. You must not be ashamed of me in this adulterous and sinful world. Are you tempted to be ashamed? When the conversations come up at work or around the dinner table with the family, I mean, you hold to the teachings of Jesus, but when people start mocking them, start questioning them, are you ashamed of them? Jim Elliott was a missionary And he lost his life on the mission field during the 19th century. His story and the story of his wife, who actually returned to the very same people who killed her husband so as to continue the missionary work to them and and work on translating the Bible into their language. Their stories are inspiring and, 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 and incredible, really. Jim said this once. It's become quite a famous quote. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Friends, this is Jesus' call to his followers. It's a radical call. It's a demanding call. But ultimately, in the end, it is the only sensible thing to do if Jesus is whom Peter declares him to be. If Jesus is whom we claim him to be. If Jesus is whom we confess him to be. The Christ of God. The one who died and rose again for you. What matters most? The question that matters most is Jesus' question. Who do you say that I am? And if your answer to that question is you are the Christ, then Jesus says what has to matter most in your life is him and his kingdom. No excuses. No no holding on. That's the problem of the people at the end of our passage today, isn't it? They're excuses. Jesus, I'll follow you. Really? Will you? Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Really, Jesus? If following you means that I'm gonna, there's going to be a cost to that? <laughs> I might not have the income that I thought I would have. I might not be able to provide the kind of security for my family that I thought I might. Hmm. Follow me, says Jesus. Well... That sounds like a great plan, but first, let me go bury my father. I think we kind of tend to think that this guy's father's dead, but there's no indication of that in the passage. I don't think that's the case at all. I think this guy's saying, following you sounds like a great idea, but, you know, there's my dad, there's the family, there's the business. 
He has a whole lot of expectations for me. I just, I just don't know if that's going to work out all that well for me right now, Jesus. It's going to be much more convenient perhaps later in life. Could we have another conversation then? Perhaps when Dad's died. And Jesus says, no, I won't have any of it. You follow me. You put the kingdom of God first. It has to be what matters most. Well, friends, my hope and prayer is that everyone here today would claim to follow Jesus as the Christ, firstly. And then secondly, that none of us would be found hanging off a cliff, holding on to Jesus a little bit with one hand and yet clinging to the things of this world with our other hand. If Jesus is the Christ, then it's all or nothing. It's what matters most. Let me pray. Dear Lord God, your call to discipleship is a radical call. Lord, help us not to be tempted by the things of this world, but to live our lives wholeheartedly for you and for what matters most. We ask it in your name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.